He is the 13th Triple Crown winner in the history of American racing. He's just perfect, and now he's just immortal! Justify is the 13th Triple Crown winner! Justify has done it! But a recent media report calls Justify's Triple Crown win into question because of a drug test. We'll talk with one of the board members who judged the validity of the test. Plus, as Churchill Downs runs its brief September meet, we'll analyze what their somewhat puzzling off-the-track moves might mean for the future of racing. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll side. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bumping finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can get us as well on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, or your podcatcher app. And, of course, in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at americasbestracing.net. Before Justify became the 13th winner of the American Triple Crown, he had to qualify for the first leg the Kentucky Derby. Just a month out from the Derby, Justify had not run in any races that offered qualifying points towards the run for the Roses. So he had just one shot to make it, finish first or second in the Santa Anita Derby. Prodigious talent matches established class. It's justified by length and a quarter. Baltoro taking a run at him, but really having to be pushed on by Castellano. Smith looks confident on Justify reaching the top of the stretch. Justify leading past the eighth pole. He's a couple of lengths in front. Baltoro is closing on the inside. It's justified by three quarters of a length. Baltoro trying ever so hard, but Justify, another exhilarating exhibition by the Supreme League gifted athlete. He's on a dizzying ascent to greatness, winning the Santa Anita Derby clearly from Baltoro. According to an article written by Joe Drape in the New York Times, shortly after this race, Justify tested positive for a banned substance called scopolamine. In humans, scopolamine is used to treat motion sickness or nausea that's caused by, say, anesthesia. But why would it end up in a horse? Is it a performance-enhancing drug? Scopolamine is in the least egregious class of drugs, according to the guidelines of the Association of Racing Commissioners International. Still, the Times article reported that Justify had 300 nanograms per milliliter, which a veteran drug lab official called excessive. According to the Times, the California Horse Racing Board waited nearly three weeks to alert Bob Baffert that the horse had had a positive drug test. That was nine days before the Kentucky Derby. Then, the Times reports, it took nearly four more months before the board made a final decision on the matter in August. They dismissed it. The New York Times article clearly raises quite a few questions about the results, the process, and the information spelled out in the story. So, to help us shed some light on this, we welcome in one of the California Horse Racing Board members involved in the process, Jesse Choper who is now retired from the board and is also a professor emeritus of law at Cal Berkeley. 
and a constitutional scholar. In fact, when Mr. Choper finished law school, he served as the clerk for the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren. So, Mr. Choper, let's take this one step at a time. First of all, what do you remember about first hearing about a positive test for Justify? The horse that had at that point won the Santa Anita Derby and would be heading to the Kentucky Derby. That horse, you know, is a famous horse. So it seems to me that I would have remembered something. Uh, I thought about it when you got in touch with me. And uh, it may well be, you know, we do dozens of cases on this uh, every month. So it, it seemed to me, as I looked over the whole thing, that everything was done pursuant to protocol. Uh, I think uh, that the racing board at the time should be commended rather than criticized for what it has had, what, what, it, what it did in that case. Why? The, uh, you know, the horse was considered to be the number one horse at the time and uh, going to run in the, uh, the, the triple crown for it. And what we did is we, we listened to the case. It involved a drug. I should say a drug that has since uh, been stated to be uh, one that is uh, not forbidden at all. Okay? But at the time, it was. Uh, my experience on the racing board has always been that we are overly sensitive to this. Uh, I think we have the most thorough investigations on these matters or or considerations of these matters than any uh, racetrack in the country uh, outside of California, certainly, but including outside. But, you know, any any racetrack, we do the same thing for all all of the local uh, California racetracks. So he did uh, get a positive on it. Uh, and uh, I, I imagine, although I don't know that it, I, I recall it that they asked it to be done over again, and I, I think it was renewed as a positive, and I think it was agreed to be a positive subsequently. After that, the board uh, considered it. I, I My guess in something like this is a 20, 25-minute uh, conversation, uh, and uh, I, I truthfully do not remember exactly uh, what happened. Uh, but I imagine uh, that at the time we uh, did not uh, put the horse, uh, disqualify the horse from uh, the race that he had entered. Well, let's take it one step at a time here. First of all, do you recall whether Justify was the only horse to test positive at that time for scopolamine? No. Okay, Dr. Rick Arthur, the... Equine medical director told a member of the Vegas Stats and Information Network that six horses tested positive. I I must say that if if Rick said that, then that's the fact. He is he is he's the most he is the most respected uh, of the people with in, in the whole country uh, in in terms of being the medical medical representative. Uh, that uh, that reports to the board. So what did you and the other CHRB commissioners know about this drug, scopolamine, what it does to a horse, how it gets into a horse, etc.? At the time, I'm sure that we were 
informed about it. Okay? Uh, but uh, I certainly don't recall. So the CHRB then notified Bob Bafford, who, as you mentioned, ordered a second test, a B sample of the urine. There are always two in case something goes wrong the first time. And it came yeah. back positive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's right. So the New York Times article says the sports rules were not followed. Well, we should point out that there is no one governing body for the sport in this country. Each state that sanctions horse racing makes its own rules. So in California, what is the time frame for reviewing these samples? The, it is, it is uh, first reviewed by the stewards at the racetrack. They go over it. They make a judgment. That can be appealed. Uh, and uh, then the, some of them uh, can be appealed to be reviewed by the racing board. On a number of them, we look at it over the written record and decide it's not worth the, 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 the time of the board to review it. Otherwise, we do review it. If you ask me if we reviewed it, I, I, I don't know. I think we probably did. The New York Times article said that Bob Baffert was notified nine days before the Kentucky Derby, which would have been over three weeks since the result of the test was made known to you. What do you know about that, and how do you feel about that time frame? I don't have any idea that, that as to whether this was any different than the ordinary time frame that would occur under the circumstances of the facts of this case. In the Times article, the board's executive director, Rick Batiker, acknowledged that this was, quote, a delicate case. Okay. The Times also quotes the board's equine medical director, Rick Arthur, who we mentioned earlier, as writing an email circulated to all of you on the board where he says, this case will be handled differently. What does differently mean to you? Just just seeing that, I don't know. I would find out why. I'm sorry to, to, to you know to be. I'm not. I'm not in any way trying to be difficult with you. I just don't. I don't. I don't recall that. I had no. I. I don't think I had any reason to believe that it was done in a time frame that was not reasonable under the circumstances. Well, a racehorse nowadays usually runs every four weeks or so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's a that's a an average that. Um, if they run seven, eight times a year, that's a lot. Well, even so, this took about 90 or more days between the time the first test came back and August when the New York Times said that the matter was completely settled, which we'll get to in a minute. So, in other words, a horse like Justify is likely to make another start before any judgment based on that drug test is made. How do you feel about that? I haven't. I, I mean, uh, what do I think about it? <laughs> I, I, I have to be more specific. Well, in other words, it was May when the test came back. According to the New York Times, it was August when a closed-door executive session was convened by the California Horse Racing Board to come up with a final determination which was to dismiss the case. 
And according to the Times, such a closed-door executive session had never happened in the five and a half years that Rick Batiker had been executive director. We have many things that go on in executive session. All of the matters before the board are not public at the time. There is a provision that authorizes executive sessions under proper circumstances. I don't know the details of that. You can take a look at it. But it is not done uh, rarely. It's done regularly. Uh, I can't tell you how many or, or, or what have you. It's a high, uh, it's a high interest uh, a horse, a triple crown potential horse. Uh, it's, it's, big, uh, it's big news. We're talking with Jesse Chopper, a retired member of the California Horse Racing Board here on In the Gate. He was a member of the board last year when this case with Justify was ongoing. So the other thing we were talking about there was the time frame from May until August when this matter was finally closed with the board dismissing it. Again, Justify had run three more races since the Santa Anita Derby, of course, the three Triple Crown races. In your experience, has it normally taken that long to settle an issue like this? I'm thinking. Uh, I really, I, I cannot give you a, a, a confident answer. My notion is, given all of the circumstances uh, and given the way uh, the board operates uh, in, in terms of, and you know, the uh, Bedecker is on top of these things all of the time and reports to us all of the time. He's a, in my judgment, again, I have the greatest respect uh, for what, uh, uh, for, for the way he has handled things, uh, uh, things overall. And uh, I, I've never known him really to, uh, you know, to make any significant mistake. So, uh, I'm not at all surprised that it dragged out to be this long. I mean, you know, it's it's like <laughs> it, it, it is like a parallel judicial process. You know how long the courts take to decide a case? What does that mean? What does a parallel judicial process mean? A, a, a situation in which someone was charged with something. All right, suppose it was a crime. Right, so there's a preliminary hearing. The judge says 30 days later we'll have the next hearing. I'm busy. I mean, I'm busy. I'm, you know, I have a full calendar. And, and those things drag on. Now, I, I don't want to deny the fact that this is a special situation. But I'm also confident, although I can't, you know, I don't, I just don't remember uh, all of the details that you're quite properly asking about. I don't remember them. But uh, I, have, I had no reason to believe at the time that uh, we uh, were doing anything to delay anything. Dr. Arthur said to uh, my friend Ron Flatter at the Vegas Stats and Information Network that there were six other positive tests in addition to justifies for this drug scopolamine. Yes. Do you recall whether the other horses' cases were dismissed along with justifies? I do not. I don't recall. What should be the big takeaway from this story in your mind? That the process that we have 
for the issue of misconduct by members of the horse racing industry is very similar to the process that we have for misconduct outside the horse racing industry. And I think both of them uh, are uh, can can lead to situations in which people are unhappy, maybe justifiably unhappy, but under the circumstances of the resources that are available. That's that's just life. You know how much of the public is going to view this story, regardless of the nuanced view we're trying to take here as another example of horses being drugged to do people's bidding. The folks with the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals have made their statement that horse racing is crooked to the core and must be overhauled. What do you say to that? I would say that uh, Peter has uh, done an excellent job of presenting their views. Their views would include not only not only no horse racing, they would take no other use of, uh, of horses uh, for any kind of situation except living out their lives in as comfortable situation as possible. Now, that doesn't wash unless you want to do away with the horse horse racing industry. I have every respect for PETA, but theirs is an adversary position that is not accepted by the general public uh, and particularly not accepted in a situation in which you have a a, a financially important uh, both to the owners, the trainers, the state and the United States in terms of taxation and so forth and income uh, that, that that's the way it is. I don't agree with Peter. I respect him. Well, we greatly appreciate your perspective on this. You were in the room. We were not. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Choper, for all of your help here. Thank you very much. In a written statement, Justify's trainer Bob Baffert says that scopolamine wasn't given intentionally to the horse. He is calling upon the state racing boards in the three states where the Triple Crown is held, Kentucky, Maryland, and New York, to release the drug test results for Justify following each of those races. Baffert claims the horse passed those tests. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, Churchill Downs has had a couple of puzzling moves lately off the track. What does that mean for the future of racing on the track? We'll get into that when we come back. Welcome back to the In The Gate Podcast. Remember back when Amazon was just an online bookstore? Well, now, of course, most people don't remember that because now you can buy anything short of a small country from the mega online retailer. They branched out from what had been their core business and they obviously did it very well. But there are numerous examples of businesses that failed trying to branch out. Remember when AOL bought Time Warner? How did that work out? How about when Quaker Oats bought Snapple? You probably didn't even know that Quaker Oats bought Snapple. It only lasted for two years. And even the WWE. They tried promoting boxing, running a restaurant and a hotel, a bodybuilding federation, and of course the first disastrous incarnation of the XFL. 
We'll see about the second one next year. That brings us to Churchill Downs, Incorporated. Since 1875, Churchill has been, you guessed it, a racing company. But since around 2007, CDI has gotten more into the casino gaming business. They now have full or partial interests in casino properties in eight different states, including, of course, Kentucky. The two latest moves by CDI merit some discussion. They intend to build a new race track in the northern part of the state and have applied for the winter race dates usually allotted to Turfway Park near Cincinnati with the intention to usurp the racing action there. On the other hand, CDI has stated that they will no longer pursue a casino license for Arlington Park near Chicago, the home of the Arlington Million. Both of these moves have raised some eyebrows. What does all this mean for the future of CDI? Of Churchill Downs as a racing company, and what does it mean for the racing industry? To get some perspective on this, we welcome in David Katz, a financial analyst with Jeffrey's Financial Group. Churchill Downs is one of the properties that Mr. Katz follows, and we're pleased to welcome him for the first time here to Win the Gate. And full disclosure here: while I am not affiliated with Churchill Downs, I am part of one of their racing clubs, one of the non-profit ventures of horse ownership. Not that it'll get in the way of our discussion here regarding Churchill Downs, but we want to make sure you know that. So let's take these moves one at a time. Churchill's proposed new track in northern Kentucky, which would snag dates away from Turfway Park, seems to be more about casino gaming than about racing. Turfway Park management has said it would add offerings like historical racing or slot machines, but so far it has not done so. Turfway's parent company, Jack Entertainment, also has properties in nearby Cincinnati. Churchill Downs would presumably make their new track into a racino. What do you make of all this? Right. Look, I think what's happening here is a dynamic, and I can't speak specifically to Turfway Park and what that management team is thinking. However, as you aptly point out, you know they own a property in Cincinnati. That you know has a database of gamers, and you know if you look at the population base, in theory, they might be splitting that customer base with Turfway Park by adding gaming machines to it and adding alternative gaming. And so, it's possible, although I wouldn't know, it's possible you know that they have hesitated to add those gaming machines for that reason. But again, I don't know. In the case of Churchill Downs, you know they're. Intent is as you know a a first-rate track operator is to try and capitalize on the opportunity to to have a first-rate run track along with a gaming machine operating uh, operation because those things can be pretty profitable uh, and they have one that they are operating now in the Louisville area called Derby City that that's been doing quite well. It's been a continual upside surprise since they opened it last August. We'll get to that in a minute. But the other thing I wanted to talk about is that while it appears that Churchill wants to build a new racino in Kentucky, they also have abruptly stopped pursuing a casino at Arlington Park near Chicago. Churchill claims prohibitive tax rates would hurt Arlington more than it would other casinos in the Chicago area.、And、this comes. After Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker signed off in June on a law that authorizes Arlington, Hawthorne, and Fairmount Park to operate casinos with some restrictions on size, 
What do you think is behind this move by Churchill? Yeah, I, look, I think it is a business decision in, in terms of how to create the most value for the entirety of the Churchill enterprise. And I think it really begins and ends right there. When we look at Arlington Park and where it is placed, and it, and it is a, a highly valuable location that they have, it is approximately eight miles from Rivers Casino in Des Plaines, Illinois, in which Churchill owns a 61.27% interest. And so that eight-mile distance is a little bit close between the two properties, and it is, it's not usual that a casino operator or a gaming operator would want to have two operations that close to each other, particularly when one of those operations has a, a much higher gaming tax rate than the other, and that's the, that would be the case here. Uh, and I think that's behind the decision uh, that Churchill Downs has made so far. Now, we talked about Derby City Gaming, and Churchill has a few other casino properties in the pipeline, including that one. CDI is in talks with Keeneland to open jointly another casino in the town of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. What do you see as Churchill's long-term philosophy when it comes to gaming? Yeah, I, look, I think what Churchill a long time ago, you know, figured out, and their current CEO was, it was absolutely a part of that thought process. When I first started covering Churchill Downs, it was in 2001, it was strictly a horse racing company. And over time, what they have figured out is that patrons, the population in the United States, is gambling more and more in other ways beyond horse racing. And the first step was getting involved with Twinspires, which is their account wagering enterprise that they have. Then second, getting into the bricks and mortar casino business. Because again, it's not as though people are gambling less. They're actually gambling more. They're just doing it in different ways. They're doing it through an app. They're doing it online. And they're doing it in bricks and mortar casinos. Uh, and we can talk about the next phases beyond that as you see fit. But the company has evolved beyond just being a horse racing company into that bricks and mortar casino business. And the Derby City facility, which are which houses uh, historical racing machines, which are effectively gaming machines that operate on an algorithm derived from historical horse racing results, has proven to be a very productive endeavor for the company. Both their bricks and mortar casinos have best-in-class margins and as I mentioned earlier, this historical racing facility, Derby, Derby City, that they opened, uh, I believe it was last August, has outperformed the early expectations so far. Uh, and so the inclination to open more facilities like it, it has been very well received. David Katz of Jeffrey's Financial Group is with us here on In the Gate. Now, you talked about Churchill being more than just a racing company, but it has traditionally been a racing company, yet... Churchill has all but shut down the racing at the Florida track formerly known as Calder. The casino remains, but the track will almost undoubtedly go away when the contract that requires racing expires after 2020. And you may recall back in 2013, management at the fairgrounds in New Orleans, also owned by Churchill, begged and pleaded with the parent company to repair the turf course, Numerous races and a music festival left the turf muddy and basically unusable, which makes you question Churchill's commitment to racing. 
What does all of this say about CDI's long-term position when it comes to racing? You make some very interesting points, but I think they are all under the same concept, which is that horse racing is a productive enterprise under the right circumstances. And as I indicated earlier, the population of people betting on horse racing is not growing. And and in fact, I believe it's shrinking. And so there's a a growing concentration within horse racing that I think occurs around the premier tracks and the premier events. And that's a dynamic that should continue pretty much indefinitely. And so that favors Churchill Downs and uh, the Kentucky Derby and events like that uh, and properties like that, which is the premier you know, racetrack in the country, if not the world. And it casts some questions around how to drive profitability and how to drive value for shareholders out of the other tracks that are there. How do we create the most value in an enterprise that has a questionable amount of demand in its profile and its future? And I think that's really the question that Churchill has endeavored to answer. And, you know, quite frankly, we think they've answered it appropriately. And as you know, Churchill has put an awful lot of money into adding more and more luxurious facilities at its main location since it hosts two of the most famous race days in the country. Now, it's obviously hard to quantify this, but you have to believe that Churchill Downs, the racetrack and the company, is a bellwether for the entire industry. So how do other companies, other racing entities, look at Churchill and determine what the future of this sport is? You know, I think that Churchill is, as you point out, a bellwether, Barry, and exemplary for how the business should be approached. Years ago, Churchill Downs was a company that was, you know, either blindly or hopelessly committed to horse racing despite the fact that it was not growing and its profitability was under pressure. The company has, as I said, much more recently uh, balanced its commitment to the premier tracks, the premier events, and to horse racing as a historical enterprise. However, they have balanced that with the need, and appropriately so, to drive profit and drive value. Uh, and returns on invested capital, because that's how people in our position will ultimately evaluate them. And I think they've they've done that quite nicely. And as you pointed out earlier, Barry, they, they do continue to enhance the experience around the Churchill Downs track and the Kentucky Derby in particular, uh, and have started to talk about plans to add further construction of a, a hotel with a uh, an HRM gaming machine facility at trackside at the property uh, in the future. But, you know, the fact of the matter is about 160,000 people go to the Kentucky Derby every year, and only about 60,000 of them have a seat. And so, you know, from our perspective, that provides opportunity to entertain the remainder of those people in a productive way and in a profitable way. The winning line, the finish line both, depending on which side of the pond you're on, not quite as important as the bottom line. So thank you so much for your perspective, Mr. Katz. Very good food for thought. Thank you, Barry. Our thanks to David Katz and to Jesse Choper. 
It's been a raucous time at the Keeneland September yearling sale. In one sense, we've gone back to the good old days. Godolphin battling Coolmore into the nine-figure stratosphere, but it's very much new school in other ways. The emphasis on breeding to sell was surely underscored when Mandy Pope bought a filly for 8.2. That's a long way from when the stars were homebreds for the industry titans like the Phippses, Vanderbilts, and Mary Lou. There have been more than a half dozen of them who've gone for more than a million. Yet California Chrome just cost ten grand, but he was not purchased with breeding foremost on the mind. Some fillies are bought just to join a broodmare band. As the sale gets further along, the prices should come down a little since the choicest horses walk through at the start. But no matter how much homework you do, horse buying's not just science. For picking out a champion is an art. You can get us on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, or your podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the upcoming Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. It happens in November after the Breeders' Cup, and yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in November in the Fan Choice Awards at AmericasBestRacing.net, and you can follow me on Twitter at B Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.